Please open your Bibles with me to the New Testament, to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. As we will read from Ephesians chapter 1, we'll read the verses 1 through 14. Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through 14. Hear God's holy and inspired word. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Our text for this hour is to be found in the verses 6, 7, and 8 of this passage. One, Ephesians chapter 1. The verses 6, 7, and 8. To the praise of his glory, grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made in to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So far then, the reading of the words of our text. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, what we have just been able to sing is, I hope, also the theme and the thoughts and the expressions this morning in review 
of the message that I'm about to proclaim. My heart does overflow. A goodly theme is mine. My eager tongue with joyful song does praise the King divine, Jesus Christ. Dear people, we have read from Ephesians chapter 1. And no doubt it has come to your attention at the very start of reading this particular Bible passage that the Apostle Paul wants to say great things of Jesus Christ. He is just full of Jesus Christ. And this is what we must consider then also this morning as well. He, that is the Apostle Paul, just cannot say enough about Jesus Christ. And let me just give you a brief review. And if you have your Bibles open in front of you, you will notice it quickly enough. He considers, that is, the Apostle Paul considers himself to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, verse 1. And he also considers the Ephesians to be faithful in Jesus Christ, also in verse 1. Grace and peace flow towards us from Jesus Christ. Verse 2. God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that He is the Blessed One. Verse 3, believers are in heavenly places in Christ, so we are told. They are chosen in Him. Verse 4, they are adopted to God by Jesus Christ. Verse 5, and so Paul continues on in this Bible passage to place Jesus Christ front and center for you and me to reflect on and to meditate on. In other words, we can say that Jesus Christ really is the center of the gospel, isn't he? We could say that Jesus Christ is the boast and the glory of Paul's gospel particularly. And so, we can say that he was very precious to the Apostle Paul, that is, Jesus Christ. And the question can be asked right at the very start already, dear people, Young people, older people, is Jesus Christ not precious to you? You need to answer that for yourself. And in prayer to God, is Jesus Christ precious to you? Now, we sometimes, or they sometimes ask from the pulpit, uh, are you born again? Eh, that's a good question, to be sure. But perhaps we could also ask it this way. What do you think of Jesus Christ? And again, answer that for yourself and to yourself. Well, now, we know from what we have heard already what the Apostle Paul thinks of Jesus Christ. And what we have summarized then also is the following. Jesus Christ for the praise of the gospel of salvation. And let that be then the theme for this message, this hour. Jesus Christ, for the praise of the gospel of salvation. In the first place, a special term for Jesus Christ. Secondly, a special aspect of his salvation. And then thirdly, a special gospel of his salvation. 
Now, congregation, at this point, the Apostle Paul has already spoken abundantly about Jesus Christ, and he speaks of him as our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, that's of course, a very good term, because it is very fitting that we always speak of the Lord Jesus Christ in, in a humble way, but in a way that honors him, that lifts him up, and that exalts him, because he is, after all, the Lord Jesus Christ. That means, of course, that you and I are called to be submissive to him who is the Lord. But, and here is where we go beyond all of that, and we read of that in verse 6, that Paul uses a term for Jesus Christ that really speaks volumes. It speaks volumes. And what is that term? It is the term, the beloved. Now, it is not accidental congregation that the Apostle Paul uses this particular term, the beloved. No, it is the Apostle's deliberate desire to speak at this point about Jesus Christ as the beloved. He has a very special reason and purpose for this term. How so? Well, the Apostle Paul wants to impress upon you and me the greatness of the salvation that is connected with the person Jesus Christ. He is known as the Beloved. And Paul wants us to be in awe of his magnitude, of what this person means for your and my salvation. After all, we know that it is God who chooses us for salvation. God adopts us as children in that salvation, as children to himself. And that not through some court rulings, not through some legal paperwork, not through some force or through some power of persuasion, but through his son, the person called the Beloved. God has someone involved who is known as the Beloved. Now, dear people, this is a special term used for the Lord Jesus Christ in order to tell us, first of all, what God the Father thinks of His Son. And that thinking of His Son, you and I are to think in this way, that God the Father gave up his Son, the Beloved, that God the Father sacrificed the Beloved so that sinners like you and me could be saved from our sin. God gave up. God sacrificed what is most precious to Him, what was most dearest to Him, what was, who was the most closest to His heart, His very own Son, the Beloved. And we can hear the Father himself proudly use this term on several occasions. For instance, at the baptism of Jesus Christ in Matthew 3, verse 17, when a voice came from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son, or literally, This is my Son, the Beloved, in whom I am well pleased. And we hear something similar as well in Matthew 17, verse 5 as to what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration, for instance, when the voice of the Father was heard again. This is my Son, the Beloved. Hear Him. Now, 
This tells this congregation what, what kind of relationship there is between the Father and the Son, and what kind of attachment the Father has to His Son. Jesus Christ is the beloved of the Father. Now, this was true already from eternity past. We get a glimpse of that, for instance, in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 30, where the Son speaks of His relationship with His Father and His relation to His Father. Then it says, Then I was beside Him as a master craftsman, and I was daily His delight, rejoicing always before Him. In other words, the Son was then already the beloved of the Father. And no pure, no higher, no more sublime love relationship could be possible than that love relationship between the Father and the Son. From eternity, they were together. The Father was never without the Son. The Son was never without the Father. They loved each other, and that with a pure, sublime type of love which cannot be fathomed by earthly measurements. It is beyond our human understanding how they loved one another. They were immensely rich in each other's company and in each other's love. They delighted in each other's company and in each other's love so that the Son could at one time even say to the Father, as it is recorded for us in John 17, verse 24, You loved me before the foundations of the world. Now, congregation, this is what we are to think of when Paul uses the term the beloved in our text. We are to think of that inseparable love relationship which is between the Father and the Son. And this is also that should impress you and me as well, that in the midst of this sublime love relationship which the Father has towards the Son, the Father gave. The Father gave His only begotten Son, the Beloved, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. The Father gave His Son. He gave the Beloved, and that for the salvation of sinners, the likes of you and me. No more yet. It was not just a giving of the Son, but the Father sacrificed His Son, the Beloved. That means that He distanced Himself from His Son. And at the climax of that particular sacrifice, He severed that love relationship with His Son when he, the Son, hanging on the cross on Calvary, He cried out, My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? It was for the sake, you see, of saving sinners whom he had chosen and predestined. God the Father gave up. God the Father sacrificed the Beloved and severed the relationship of love with the Beloved at least for three dark hours as Jesus Christ 
hung on the cross in total darkness. And so, my friends, are you at all touched by what God the Father did to save sinners like you and me? Are you at all impressed with what the Father gave for your and my eternal happiness and joy? The Father gave the best. He gave the dearest. He gave the closest to Himself. He gave the Beloved. Now, do you know what this means, congregation? It means that the love of God towards sinners like you and me, that the love of God towards sinners is comparable to the love of God which He has towards His Son, the Beloved. John chapter 17, verse 23, allows us that interpretation, you see, and make that comparison, where Jesus says to His Father that the world may know that you have sent me and you have loved them as you have loved me. And so, has the love of God ever made you stop and think, wow, this is awesome, awesome. Has the love of God ever humbled you, dear people, and made you wonder, who am I? Who am I that I should be the object of such love of God that the Father was willing to give up His beloved Son in order to have me around eternally. Congregation, this, this special term which Paul uses here for Jesus Christ, the beloved, is a term deliberately used by him to remind us, therefore, of this great love of God the Father for sinners like you and me. And you who have come to believe in Him, that is, in Jesus Christ, may be assured that this love which the Father has for you is like the love that the Father has for His Son, Jesus Christ, His, the Beloved. Now, does that not tell us something, dear brothers and sisters? With our text words, the Apostle Paul wants to impress upon each and every one of us, young and old, the great privilege that you may have as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that you are therefore to be thankful for this and thankful towards God the Father for such love and for such a beloved. Of course, it also needs to be said as well that this same message is meant to stir the consciences of any who are still in their sins. How could anyone be so callously go on in their sin? How could anyone continue in unbelief knowing that such love is at work to provide salvation for sin? How could anyone just say, ah, forget it, man, it's not for me? I would urge you, therefore, to consider very seriously that if this love of God is spurned, is rejected, you will have to answer for it on the day of judgment. The Bible tells us that, doesn't it? God so loved that He gave 
But if that gift is rejected by you, if that gift is not believed on by you, you must and you cannot take comfort in the love of God, but you must expect the very opposite, that is, the wrath of God. And so, dear people, may I urge you this morning, consider your spiritual state at this present. Has the love of God already humbled you? Has it? If not, may I urge you to repent towards God. And as it says in Psalm 2, verse 12, kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Well, now, let's, let's go back to our text verses. We've heard something then about the special term for Jesus Christ, the Beloved. Let us now consider then in the second place the special aspects of His salvation. Now, Paul goes on then in verse 7 to say the following, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Now, congregation, we learned already a few moments ago that the Father has a special relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. It is a very special attachment to Him that is the attachment of love. We have heard, and I trust you understand this. But believers also have a special attachment to Jesus Christ Himself. An attachment that should, as it were, stimulate us as believers to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is that attachment to Jesus Christ which every believer has? What is that attachment? Well, it is the attachment of redemption. Of redemption. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we can therefore say, I have redemption through His blood. Well, now, what is redemption, you might ask? It means deliverance by the payment of a ransom. That's what redemption means. Deliverance by the payment of a ransom. Now, boys and girls, become familiar with this term, redemption. You know, it is a slave market term. You could say it that way. It is a term that is used to set slaves free from slavery. It is connected to the term redeem, which means to buy up or to pay up. Now, each believer was like any other sinner, a slave, that is, a slave to sin, a slave in bondage to the service of sin. And at this stage, such a person, and I'll just call him he, he cannot help but sin. He doesn't know any better. Sin is his livelihood. Sin is his ambition. And to some greater or lesser extent, sin is even his pleasure. And the worst part of all of this, this slavery in the service of sin, that is, it will eventually destroy him physically and spiritually. However, as an unbeliever, he doesn't want to accept that. He doesn't want to accept that fact. And he will deny it. He will push it out of his life. He will push it out of his thoughts. He will push it out of his conscience. He will brush it aside as just some hype that religious fanatics bring up. 
But a believer in Jesus Christ will see the truth of it and will have acknowledged it, will have confessed it, and will have looked to Jesus Christ in faith to have it realized in his, her life. And all of this is done by the work of the Holy Spirit. Because believers in Jesus Christ will therefore be able to repeat what the Apostle Paul says here in our text. In Him we have redemption through His blood. Now dear brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have redemption. We are delivered from the slavish service to sin. The price, the ransom has been paid. We have redemption through His, Jesus Christ's blood. And when He sacrificed Himself on the cross, His blood flowed profusely. No, we are told that He actually shed His blood even. And that the blood of the beloved Jesus Christ has then become the redemption price, the ransom price to set you and me free from our sins. Now, does this mean that we do not sin anymore? Does it mean now that we are perfect? Well, you and I, we know better, don't we? And alas, also we know this to our grief and to our shame. You know, it has been said, and the Word of God proves that as well, that when God forgives our sins, He will remember them no more. God, as it were, forgets them. They're cast behind him. He will, not for, he will not remember our sins anymore. But you know what? And believers will know this to be a truth. He, that is God, will not let us forget our sins. He will keep us to remember our sins. Why? So that we may remain humble. So that we may remain dependent on him. So that we may continue to rejoice in His great salvation because He, Jesus Christ, has done it all. And so the question can again be asked, do we therefore not sin anymore? You and I, we know better. To our grief, we have to admit that, yes, we do continue to sin. And we know also, and that not in the least, that to the grief of Jesus Christ who has saved us from sin. But this gives us, again, another aspect of the attachment that we have to Jesus Christ. And that is that it tells us the forgiveness of sins. And it's an ongoing forgiveness, you see, according, according to the riches of His grace. So, dear beloved believers, Jesus Christ continues to forgive and forgive and forgive Whenever you commit a sin and you cry to Him, please forgive us, He has forgiveness for you in store. Now, of course, this is one of the things that an unbeliever cannot say, cannot dare to claim even. They have no forgiveness. The sins they do, as it were, pile up higher and higher before the face of God and on judgment, that high pile of sin will come crashing down upon them, if I may describe it this way. 
But as believers in Jesus Christ, we have the forgiveness of sins, you see. And that not just once when we are, have initially turned in faith to Jesus Christ, but we have forgiveness of our sins, of our daily sins as well, because of the riches of His grace, of God's grace in Christ Jesus. It's an ongoing forgiving of God. And again, as believers, yes, we do sin. But our sins do not stockpile up before God, you see. As we are convicted of our sin, of one or the other sin that we have committed, and as we are convicted by, by the Word and by the Holy Spirit, we know that a sorrow rises up in our heart. And we want to confess it to the Lord God immediately, And then we may also know that there is immediate forgiveness through Christ. We may be assured, therefore, of having our sins wiped out because, after all, this is really what forgiveness is about, you see. You have something written on a chalkboard, and here comes Jesus Christ, wipes it out. Forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. Now, therefore, as believers, we may rejoice with the Apostle Paul in our text. We have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Now, dear people, can you somewhat identify with what Paul is saying here in our text? Can you also personally confess redemption from the slavery of sin and the forgiveness of your sins? Do you know the significance of this daily repentance, of this daily confession? Now, this is, of course, is, is necessary because we do sin daily, don't we? But with daily repentance and with daily confession, we, may also be, we are also promised daily forgiveness. And this is why we as believers have such an attachment to the Lord Jesus Christ and why we want to be right towards Him, why we want to be pleasing to Him as the Lord. We have this redemption from sin and the forgiveness of sins, and it all comes from Him, from Jesus Christ. We have this attachment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And dear people, do you know of this attachment to Him? Are you also conducting yourselves Christ-like, therefore, because that's part of being attached to Jesus Christ. You begin to conduct yourself Christ-like more and more, Christ-like, pleasing to Him. And surely this is what the Apostle Paul aims at when he speaks to us about the privileges that we have in being redeemed. It is enough to say, therefore, during any temptation that comes at us, I cannot possibly indulge in such a sin because I am redeemed. I am redeemed. Well, let us therefore be Christ-like in every facet of our life, dear people, and give praise to God for, for all that He has given us in this special gospel that comes to you this hour. And then I must speak to you also in the last place yet. There is a special gospel of his salvation. And dear people, there is a special way in which the salvation through Jesus Christ comes at us and comes to us. 
In our text, verse 8, the Apostle Paul tells us that God has made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Now, this word prudence can also be translated as understanding or as insight. In congregation, understand this well, therefore. God is the embodiment of wisdom. If anyone has understanding and insight, it surely is God Himself. Now, if God, in His wisdom and in His insight, has prepared such an awesome salvation in and through Jesus Christ, as we have heard about already, in Jesus Christ the Beloved, would it not be wise, would it not be prudent on your and my part to believe this word that you have heard this hour and to believe on the Beloved, that is, the Lord Jesus Christ? God has, as it were, abounded towards us, you see. He is overflowing in His riches of His grace. He is, as it were, flooding us with the riches of His grace. His promises, they come towards us, and He brings them to us in abounding measure, so we are told by the Apostle Paul. The good pleasure of His will is revealed to us And it is plain, it is clear, and it should be understandable by each one, young and old. God's Word, yes, it comes to us with warnings, with exhortations, but it also comes to us with encouragements as well, even for you and for me. Jesus Christ, the Beloved, is presented and declared to us again as the all-sufficient Savior, all-sufficient He, as the Beloved of the Father, is presented to us by the Father for redemption from sin, for forgiveness of sin, and then also for a Christ-like life as well. Now, would it not be wise for you and me to show reverence, to show submission to Jesus Christ, and learn to say in confession as well, and with all other believers, our Lord Jesus Christ. Would it not be wise, would it not be prudent to bow for this word and to submit to this word and take advantage of the riches of the grace that come and flow forth from this word? Would it not be wise, would it not be prudent to repent if you haven't done so as yet, dear friends? Would it not be wise, would it not be prudent to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ if you haven't come to that point yet? In fact, I believe it would be downright foolish and imprudent not to do so. Well, what is it then to believe in Jesus Christ? A very simple question, and that requires a very simple answer. Dear friend, To believe in Jesus Christ means, and we'll use the words of the Catechism first of all, means to have a certain knowledge of Jesus Christ through the Word of God, and it also means an assured confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or let me say it this way. To believe in Jesus Christ means to take your eyes off of yourself 
that you stop looking at yourself as what you could possibly accomplish, but to look away from yourself and look towards the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, look unto me, Jesus Christ. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it means to entrust your whole sinful self to him. To lay your whole sinful self at his feet and say, Lord Jesus, do with me as pleases you. To entrust yourself to him. Because he knows what you need. He is completely trustworthy. And he, as the beloved of the Father, has perfect wisdom and perfect understanding as to what you and I need. To believe in Jesus Christ, therefore, dear people, means to be open towards what he has to say. To be open to what he has done. Especially by the way of his sacrifice. And to be open for his love that is abounding towards you who have believed. To believe in Jesus Christ, it means finding a hiding and a shelter and a cleansing place with Jesus Christ. As one hymn tells us so eloquently, and we know this hymn, don't we? Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse for me its guilt and power. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin cannot atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Therefore, be wise and prudent, dear people. Whoever you may be, be wise and prudent. This is the special way the gospel of salvation has come to you this hour. Therefore, do not procrastinate. That means do not postpone till you find a better season to do so. Do not wait until you are in a more serious frame of mind. Do not lay it aside what you have heard. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as we are told in the Scriptures, because procrastination, postponement, waiting, laying aside of what you have heard is nothing but the beginnings of the hardening of a heart. And we don't want to go that route, do we? Therefore, look to Him who has been declared to you as the Beloved and be saved, be redeemed, and then revel also in the riches of of his bountiful grace to the praise of his glorious name. Amen.